I want to let you know, some of you are here for the first time. We do this every single Thursday. We start at noon. We try to be done by 1245. We're going to be a hair late today so you, but, so you can get back to work. Uh, it's not always ribeyes, but I can promise you this. It's always awesome. And you can ask the folks that are here every week. It's always awesome. Every single Thursday, I want to encourage you to come. Come back next week. Bring somebody with you. And we'd like to see our men's lunch our men's power lunch continue to grow. I handed out some cards. There are business cards on your, on your table there. Uh, pick up that card, and as you go through this week, think about somebody, somebody you work with, somebody you know, your neighbor, that you can invite and just hand them this card and say, hey, our men's power lunch, we're meeting on Thursdays. I'd like to see you there. I'll meet you there. I'll pick you up and be back next Thursday. We'd like to see our, our lunch continue to grow. That leads us to the question, and, and it's something we, we think about a lot. The question is, why do we have the men's power lunch. And I'm actually asked that quite a bit. Why do we have uh, the men's power lunch? Why would we spend this much money uh, to put on a lunch every single Thursday? It doesn't cost anybody a dime. We want you to be able to come and and focus on the fellowship, focus on the the word of God. Uh, Why would we put in all the time? It takes a bunch of time to cook this stuff every single Thursday. Uh, Why do we have the men's power lunch? Last night, uh, somebody asked me, why do we have this for men and not for women. And that's actually a question I'm asked a lot on Sundays. The ladies want to know, well, when, when's our thing coming up? When are we going to get ribeyes? Um, why do we have the men's power lunch? Today, this lunch cost right at $1,000. Uh, there were some men that chipped in to cover that. Uh, why did they care enough to want to chip in $1,000 that we would have this crowd here today? Why do we have the men's power lunch? Uh, let me just tell you, and I thought, man, this is the opportunity to tell you, why do we have the men's power lunch? Let me just lay it out for you. In our time, in our generation, some of us here are older, some of us a little bit younger, but in the age that we're living in, in our time, in our generation, we have seen the collapse and the planned destruction of the home. I believe that. And you say, well, who planned it? Well, Satan planned it. Uh, We have seen the collapse in our age, in our day of the home. Satan planned that. 50% of marriages today end in divorce. And I'll just tell you, that's a process as I sit in my office and as as I talk to folks about that and as I walk with folks through that process, that is a process that actually scars people's souls. Uh, It is honestly a process that's worse than death. And some of the folks here would tell you, you know what, I went through that process and, and it was that hard. It was that tough. That's not God's plan. Uh, in 2014, starting a couple years back, 51% of babies born are born to unwed parents. That's in America. 51%. Most kids born today are born to parents who are not married. And let me tell you the, the, the thing about that. The vast majority of those kids The dad is not going to participate in their raising. The dad's not going to participate in that household. And the duty is, and the responsibility is going to fall mostly on that female to raise those kids alone. In America today, more kids are now raised in single parent homes uh, than are raised in a home where both parents are participating. 25 years ago, Uh, That was called a broken home. Guess what? That's not a broken home anymore. That's a normal home. More kids are now raised in single-parent homes than they are in homes with both parents present. Uh, The fact of that is this. You know what? Kids have less support. They have less resources than those in a home that have both a mom and dad present. 
Uh, keep going down the list. The institution of marriage today. And let me just tell you, that is God's plan. Uh, that is God's blessing to his people. He doesn't create marriage to be a hindrance to you. He's not trying to punish you by, by putting you with your wife. That is his plan. That is his blessing to us. Well, guess what? In our age, in our generation, the definition of marriage has now been redefined. In fact, you can't go and really catch a definition anymore. The definition of marriage, according to God's word, has been disgraced, and we get all up in arms about that. Look at the politicians changing the definition of marriage. What about in our practical life where we now see it as not necessary? You know what? I don't need to get married, and we see marriage as unnecessary. That's happened in our time. That's happened in our generation. Keep going down the list. In our generation, in our time, the common ground of biblical morality has now been erased from public and private life. Now, what that means is this. Our laws today no longer match God's laws. There was a day that, that an atheist would say, you know what, these laws still are best for our culture, and God's laws were still influencing man's laws. You know what, today in our government, you look at the laws we're making, man's laws no longer match God's laws. That's why there's a rush to take the Ten Commandments out of public places. The world doesn't want to be reminded any longer that there's a living God and he is just and he's going to judge. Uh, the world doesn't want to be reminded anymore there's a standard and it's not based upon my desires and my needs. That's happened in our generation. That's happened in our time. In our time, in our generation, we've seen an explosion of the availability of and therefore the addiction to pornography. You know, since 1995, the number one addiction in America is not alcohol, it's not methamphetamines, it is pornography. It is a poison that ensnares your mind. It is a poison that corrupts your mind. That is the truth is what's happened in our age. I, I go two years ago to a Dallas Cowboy game, take my wife, we're excited about watching Dallas Cowboy football. The cheerleaders on the sideline are doing more sex acts than they are dancing. I don't know what you call it, but basically they're there doing sex acts. And we sit there and we smile and we laugh it off. Hey, that's just part of the culture. That's happened in our time. That's happened in our generation. In our time, in our generation, we've seen an outright attack on the Word of God. There is no reverence in the Word of God. 76% of people surveyed, this was a survey from last year, 76% of Americans said they read the Bible less than one time a week. And I'm going to tell you if it's less than that, it's probably a whole lot less than that. 76% of walking Americans today said they read the Bible less than one time a week. 86% of the millennial generation say they read the Bible less than one time a week. Let me tell you the reason that's happened. Let me tell you why that is. It's because a 2016 Barna poll says that 76, listen to this, 76% of Americans believe the Bible is not and cannot be trusted in what it teaches. 76% of Americans no longer read the Bible. 86% of the millennial generation do not read the Bible. That's based upon the fact that 76% of Americans do not say they do not and cannot trust what the Bible teaches. Today, the Bible is observed as unscientific, as ignorant, as intolerant, as irrelevant, as a myth and a book of fables. And if you don't believe that, you just ask a young person today what they believe of our Bible. In our time, in our generation, 
We have seen the demise of personal character, a time when a person's word could be trusted. You know, there was a time when somebody said something, you could take it to the bank because their word could be trusted. A time when, when, when a person would be kind, a time when person, somebody else's welfare was ahead of your own welfare. Those days are gone. Instead, you look around today, we're divisive, we're angry, we're mad, and we live in attack mode. Don't believe me? Watch the news tonight. They're mad at them, they're mad at them, they're talking about them, and they're fighting in the streets. That's our age. No longer respect, no longer honor, no longer courtesy and kindness. We live in an age where personal character has deteriorated. And let me just tell you, I could go on and on and on and on and on. Truth is, we've got a problem today in our time. And let me just tell you something else while I'm telling you that. The Bible is very clear, and you be sure of this. It is in times like these that the Bible says Jesus is going to come again. That's what the book of Timothy, that's what Paul writes to his protege, Timothy. He says, you know what, it is in times like these that Jesus is going to come again. Let me tell you something, when he comes for those who are outside of a relationship with Jesus Christ on that day, it's going to be too late and they will spend eternity in the reality of hell. So let me tell you today, we've got a problem in our time and at the same time, we better be urgent in our time. And so let me just answer the question today. So in that context, in that understanding, you want to know why we have the men's power lunch? It is because in our time, in our generation, we need godly, Christ-following men trained by and standing on the word of God to stand up and to act like men. In the New Testament, there is an account of a church that the apostle Paul helps start in the city of Corinth. He goes to this town, they they teach the gospel. You know what? You can be forgiven in Jesus Christ. There's hope in him. There's a purpose to your life. There is eternal life through Jesus Christ. They preach the gospel. In this town, they hear the gospel. They believe and they receive the gospel. Folks are saved. And out of that, they start a church here in this town, this city of Corinth. Uh, Paul moves along in his mission. He goes elsewhere to lead other people to Christ. And this church is left there. Now these believers are left there to progress and to live as Christians. Well, as this church grows, as this church continues, uh, these believers start to see the problem. They start to have the issue that they are existing for Christ. They're living for Christ, but they're also existing in the world. They're living in the world. And with that conflict going on, uh, all sorts of issues start to rise up in their church. Um, there are some folks in this church and they're bringing worldly ideas and worldly things into the church and they're trying to mix the two together. You know what? I used to do this in my former life and you know what? We used to think this was a big deal and they're bringing their, their pagan practices, their, their pagan thoughts into the church and they're pushing the church to compromise. It's the same that's happening today. You know what? We're bringing worldly ideas into the church and we're, we're trying to get the church to accept them and we push the church to compromise. That was happening in this church. There are some people in this church and they're using the church to be a big deal. And that still goes on in the church. Now, there's folks and they say, you know what? I know this, these things. I do this. I do these things. 
And so I'm a better Christian than you. I'm a more spiritual person than you. And, and I must be a higher class of Christian than you. And so therefore you must be a lower class of Christian. And there's a divisiveness happening in the church. That was going on in this church. There were some people put their faith in Christ. They're now existing in this church and they were caught in sin. And, and you read the account, man, there's rampant sin going on. There's a lot of, of sexual craziness going on in the, in the uh, Corinthian church. Sometimes we think, well, that's a new thing. No, that was going on back then. And they're having to ask the question, do we overlook it? What do we do about it? Is God okay with it if we get to be okay with it? Uh, is it just about following Christ by faith or is it about living a life that is holy and honors him? And so they're having to wonder about these sexual issues, these sin issues in the church. On top of that, there are some other folks in the church and they're starting to say, you know what? You can't trust the word that we received. You can't trust the word that we were saved by. And very specifically, they start to question the resurrection. And they're saying, well, was it a real resurrection? Does it matter if it's a real resurrection? And some false teachings begin to be introduced in the church about the resurrection. Let me just tell you something. The gospel is a whole lot easier to promote if you can get around the resurrection. So we'll just explain it away. Well, false teaching enters into the church. Same thing today. All of these things, all of these troubles, all of these issues are going on in the church. Again, it sounds a lot like today. So Paul writes 1 Corinthians to address these things. That's what it is. This is what's going on in the church. These are the issues. He writes this letter and if you read 1 Corinthians, he goes step by step, issue by issue, and he says, this is what God has said about these issues. This is what God says about divisiveness in the church. This is God, what God says about your place in the church. This is what God says about sin in the church. He goes all the way through the chapter addressing the issues. Then in the 16th chapter, he concludes the letter. He begins to pull it all together Here's all these instructions from God himself spoken through the Apostle Paul. He lays all that out. But then he says, as he, as he concludes and starts to wrap up the 16th chapter, here is God's message to his people in these crazy times. Listen to his message. It applies to us today. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 13 says this. You're living in a crazy day. You're living in a crazy church. You're wondering what you're going to do. Here's what he says. Be on the alert. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. That's what he tells those folks. Now listen to this. Be on the alert. Be on the alert. What that means is know what's happening. See what's going on around you. Don't be sucked into it. Don't be misled by the culture. He says, be on the alert. Let me tell you something. In 2016, it's time for followers of Jesus Christ to open their eyes and be on the alert. That's how he starts off. Then he says, stand firm in the faith. Stand firm in the faith. And what that means is do not waver. Do not compromise. Do not try to adapt it to make it fit in. Do not try to adapt it to make it more acceptable. In our age, don't try to change it so to be politically correct. But he says, you receive the faith. The faith that you receive, stand firm in that faith. Man, Look around us today. We're, we're quick to want to, to compromise and water things down. And if you'll come and just act like you're a little bit with us, we'll let you say, hey, that's good enough. That's close enough. You know what? We're saved by, by grace, by faith in Jesus Christ alone. And that is the truth. 
Stand firm in the faith. Then it says this, and really this is, this is how this men's lunch evolves. This is how this thing comes about. It says this, act like men. Act like men. Not like kids, not like boys, act like men. Now, this is a saying. What does that mean? It's a saying that was used to encourage soldiers. They're getting ready to go to battle. They're getting ready to go to fight. It's time to roll. It's time to, it's time to go. It's time to fight. And they would say to each other, act like men. We're getting ready to go to battle. We're rolling down this hill and it's going to get nasty down there. Act like men. That's what the call was. Well, what does that mean? It means this. In God's army, in God's economy, it means this. How do you act like a man? It means that you're to have courage because of the Lord. That's what it means. It means that you're to have strength in the Lord. It means that you're to be obedient to the Lord. And that's what it means to act like a man. That's what men do. And so Paul sees what's going on in the church and he says, you know what? You're going to need to stand on your faith and you're not going to need to waver and you're not going to need to compromise. You know what? You're going to need to come up here and you're going to need to be courageous and you're going to need to be obedient. And if God tells you to do something, you better do it. And he says, it's time to act like men. Let me tell you something today. You want to see homes change? I'll just tell you, I'm, I'm sick of messed up homes. I'm sick of, of broken-hearted people. I'm sick of kids that suffer probably more than anybody. You want to see homes change? You want to see churches change? And, and we look around at all the, the, the dead and dying churches around us. You want to see churches change and see them become a, a place and a people of power? You want to see the good news of Jesus Christ go out? And you want to see lives changed by the, the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ? You want to see God move powerfully in a, in a town that everybody, well, this town's too far gone. This town's out here dying. You want to see God move powerfully in Vernon, Texas? Then you let godly men stand up and act like men. We've been quiet too long. We've compromised too long and it's time for men to stand up and say, you know what, I, I'm a sinner. I'm sorry than any of y'all, y'all to put together. But you know what? God loved me so much. He sent his son to forgive me that I might become the righteousness of his son. He's given me eternal life. He's given me a purpose until he comes back again. And it's time for me as a grown man to throw off the crap and the crud of this world, to throw off the entanglements of this world and to stand up in the power of God and to act like a man. Let that be our generation. Sit there, well, what about the greatest generation? What about the founding generation? Let this be our generation. People that got right with God. People that understood the grace and the power of God and stood up, men, and acted like men. Then it ends and it says this, be strong. Be strong. God's strength, not your strength. You're going to have to stand against a culture going a different direction. You're going to have to pro proclaim a gospel that's seen as ignorant, stupid. Be strong. You're going to have to take a stand. You know what? That's, that may change your home. It may, may change your priority set. It may change how you have to do business. Be strong. Be strong. You're going to have to say, well, I, I don't want to see this anymore. I don't want to participate in this anymore. I don't want to hear this anymore. Be strong. Be strong. Listen to verse 13 again. Be on the alert. Stand firm in the faith, act like men, 
be strong. Let me tell you a couple things how this happens. First way it happens is this. You have to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. We're sinners. We're all sinners, all of us. The Bible says because we've sinned, we've earned a punishment. Death, separation from God. We're separated in our sins now. We're separated for eternity if we die in that state. We have earned a punishment. The Bible says God loved you so much he sent his son. He was beaten beyond recognition. Couldn't tell he was the form of a man. Pulled the beard out of his face, whipped him across his back, most likely to his intestines or beat out of him. Marched him up a hill, nailed him to a cross, and he dies there in my place, in your place. That's what the cross is about. Dies in your place, paying your penalty. That, upon putting faith in him as the payment for your sin, Romans 10, 9, 10, 13, you will be saved. Profess it with your mouth because you believe it in your heart. You will be saved. First thing you need to do is have a relationship with Jesus Christ. There's some guys in this room who need to put their faith in Jesus Christ. There's some guys in this room who say, you know what? I've tried it long enough, fought against it long enough, tried my way. My way didn't work. Today I put my faith in Jesus Christ. You want to act like a man, it starts with that. Submit to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Second thing we need to do is those as Christians, we need to walk in an abiding relationship with Jesus Christ. How in the world do we ever let a church say you could follow Christ and not walk in an abiding relationship with Christ is beyond me. You know what, grown man? We need to hear from his word. We need to spend time in his word. We need to be in the fellowship of a church where we're taught, where we have a place to serve. We need to spend time in prayer, listening and speaking to him. We need to walk in an abiding relationship with Jesus Christ. Well, you don't know about my bills. You don't know about my job. I'm going to tell you something. Priority number one for a follower of Jesus Christ, walk in an abiding relationship with Jesus Christ. Listen to verse 13 again. And be on the alert. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. I'm going to ask if you'll stand. I'll lead us in a word of prayer. Glad you're here. Bring somebody with you. Come back next week. We'll, we'll have to go up top of the eat. Let's pray. During Father, we come. We're thankful for you. We're thankful for the instruction that you give us. We're thankful that you tell us, man, Times are tough and the world's collapsing and, and, and the moral standards collapsing and, and, and character, personal characters disappeared. Sin is rampant. Addiction's rampant. All of it's just a sign of the fact that, that we no longer believe your truth and your word and it never impacts how we live. I pray for some men in this room that today they put their faith in Jesus Christ. They understand their hope alone is in Christ and, and, and whatever they've done, whatever situation they're in today, they can be forgiven by the cross of Calvary, by the, the Savior, the gospel of Jesus Christ, that, that they understand that was for them and they put their faith in a risen Savior that they might be saved. I pray for some decisions to be made today. I, I pray for us here today as followers of Christ that we would understand the day is urgent and the day is wicked and the time grows short that maybe more than any other generation, maybe more starting anywhere than, than starting right here in this room, that men with wives and men with kids and, and men with jobs and, and men with people looking to them would stand up and say, in the power of the living God, I will act like a man. Empower that. Bless that, I know you will. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.